0: Today, we're celebrating Mother's Day. And if you're a if your mother and your children are not here this morning in this congregation, I suggest that you insist that they go to our website and listen to this message.
1: <laughs> Tell
0: them it's one of your Mother's Day gifts. You won't, you won't regret it, but they may.
1: <laughs>
0: and for all of us here today, I'd like you to reflect. On your mother. And forgive me if I get emotional as I focus on my dear departed mother and my wonderful mother in law. When the good Lord created mothers, he was in the sixth day of overtime when an angel appeared and said, You're doing a lot of fiddling around on this one. And the Lord replied, Have you seen the specs on this order? She has to be completely washable but not plastic. Have 180 movable parts, all replaceable. Run in black coffee and leftovers. Have a lap that disappears when she stands up. A kiss that can cure anything from a broken leg to a disappointing love affair. And six pairs of hands. The angel shook his head slowly and said, six pairs of hands, no way. It's not the hands that are causing me problems, said the Lord. It's the three pairs of eyes that mothers have to have. One pair pair that sees through closed doors when she asks, what are you kids doing in there, when she already knows. Another in the back of her head that sees what she shouldn't, but what she needs to know. And of course, the ones in front that look at a child when he goofs up and says, I understand and I love you. Without so much as uttering a word, I'm so close to creating something so close to myself. Already, I have one who heals herself when she's sick. She can feed a family of six on one pound of hamburger <coughs> and get a nine year old to stand under a shower. Not only can she think, <coughs> she can reason and she can compromise. And finally, the angel bent over. And he ran his finger across the cheek of the mother. There's a leak, he pronounced. I told you that you were trying to put too much into this model. (laughs) That's not a leak, said the Lord. It's a tear. What's it for? asked the angel. And the Lord replied, It's for joy, happiness, sadness, disappointment, pain, loneliness, and pride. You're a genius, shouted the angel. The Lord smiled and said, I made her in my image. There are seven ways to love your mother. Love her verbally. Men have the philosophy, I don't have to say I love you. You already know it. I have told you before, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. Or I show love, not just say it. That may be true, but a woman needs to hear those words. I love you. Some men would say, I'm not just turn that way, then turn around. I'm not just comfortable, then be be uncomfortable. Carol Kent says this, One day when my son Jason was young, we were eating breakfast together, I had on an old pair of slacks and a fuzzy old sweater. He flashed his baby blues at me over his cereal bowl, and he said, Mommy, you look so pretty today. I didn't even have makeup on. So I said, honey, why would you say I look pretty today? Normally I'm dressed up in a suit and high heels. And he said, but when you look like that, I know you're going someplace. But when you look like this, I know you're all mine. Nothing can replace the beauty of being together with those we love. Number two, love her physically. When's the last time you gave your mother a big hug? without her asking for it, or a kiss on the cheek, or a neck rub, or just sat on the couch and held her for a change. She's the first person who ever touched you. She wrapped you up in her room for, no, for months, and you came out, and her first priority was to hold you. And she cuddled you. She stroked your head. She rubbed your feet. She held your little cheeks against hers, gave you a finger to grasp. In love, she did all things, including grooming you with a licked thumb. And when you were little, she could say, give me sugar, and you'd pucker up and she'd accept your wet, sloppy kiss and even say thank you. You gave her bear hugs so tight, she didn't have to hold on to you. You just clinged on to her as she walked around. She changed your diapers. She potty trained you held Kleenex for you to blow your nose. She wiped food off your face years longer than she should have had to. She constantly touched you. And she may have to hand you off to another, and her life may endure some heavy changes, but she deserves your touch and should never have to give that up completely. It would mean more to her than flowers or candy, or eating out, or a diamond necklace. Well, let's not go too far. One of the pictures captured in the Chicago Tribune many, many years ago was that of a grim fireman and a paramedic carrying a fire victim away from the scene. The blaze, which happened in Chicago in December, at first seemed routine. But then the firefighters discovered the bodies of a mother and five children huddled in the kitchen of an apartment. The firefighters surmised that she could have escaped <coughs> with two or three of the children, but she couldn't decide whom to pick. So she chose to wait with all of them <coughs> for the firefighters to arrive. And all of them died of smoke inhalation. There are times when you just don't leave those we love. Number three, <clears throat> love her patiently. Mothers have an incredible job with no pay. No position in the business world compares to the physical, emotional, and spiritual commitment that she has in motherhood. Here's the point. In spite of all she does for us, we often become impatient with her. We get so used for her taking care of things that we come to expect it so love her patiently because she's cared for your needs is no reason to take advantage of her it's reason to be patient and to love her all the more it's unfair for teens to be more kind considerate and patient with their friends and their friends mothers than their own mother so teens If you're listening, if you treat your friends like you treat your mom, you wouldn't have any friends. And if you treated their mom the way you treat your mom, their mom would not let their children play with you. Your mom deserves better. She's not a rug to wipe every negative thought on. (coughs) Harold Reynolds, ESPN baseball analyst and a one-time all-star second baseman for the Seattle Mariners, writes this. When I was growing up in Corvallis, Oregon, there was an NBA player named Gus Williams. Gus tied his shoes in back instead of in front like normal. I thought that was so cool, so I started tying my shoes in the back. I wanted to be like Gus. He wore number 10. I wore number 10. He wore one wristband. I wore one wristband. One day, I was lying in bed, and my stomach was killing me. And I noticed that it wasn't my sports hero, Gus Williams, who came to my room to take care of me. It was my mother. That's when I began to understand the difference between heroes and role models. I stopped looking at athletic accomplishments to determine who I wanted to pattern, uh, pattern my life after. Instead, I tried to emulate people with strong characters who are doing things of lasting value. Whom we look up to largely determine who we become. So choose your heroes well. Number four, love her attentively. Mothers listen to you as you pour out your heart. She has a sympathetic ear and always has. And even as an adult, you've gone to her when you want someone who really listens and understands and she'll always be on your side. It's no wonder we like to talk to mom. She listens. But now she has issues. And now it's your turn to be her rock. And take take time to listen. It's payback time. In their older days, our parents have many fears and anxieties. May we treat them as we hope to be treated when we're in their shoes. John Fisher writes, I have a bad habit. When my children tell me about something they've learned for the first time, I often act as if I knew that. Even worse, sometimes I tell them how the same thing happened to me years ago. But when my wife hears something new from the kids, her mouth drops open and her eyes widen. It's as if she has never heard this kind of thing before. The kids' faces brighten and they feel as if they have actually enlightened their mother. I used to think that my wife was just acting, and sooner or later the kids would find out and feel lied to. But then I realized it isn't an act at all. Though she may have already experienced what they're trying to tell her, she has never experienced it through them. Their personal revelations are entirely new, and it's the same with God. As as all-knowing and sovereign as he is, I'm sure he's still eager to hear our prayers because he has never quite heard it the way we say it. We're all unique. We all have our own signature attached to all we do and say. Our lives, our experiences, and our faith expressed to him are never old. Number five, love her gratefully. (coughs) An elementary science class had been studying magnets and how metal metal objects are attracted to magnets. At the end of the semester, the teacher put this question on the exam. Six letters. Starts with M. Picks up things. What am I? Over half the children wrote mother. (laughs) She needs a sincere thank you. And not just for today, from a genuinely thankful heart when she least expects it. At the Pan Am Games champion, United United States diver Greg Loganis was asked how he coped with the stress of international diving competition. He replied that he climbs to the board, takes a deep breath, and he thinks, even if I blow this dive, my mother will still love me. Then excuse me. Then he goes for excellence. At the beginning of each day, how good it would be for each of us to take a deep breath and say, even if I blow it today, my God will still love me. And then assured of grace, go into the day to seek a perfect ten. Number six, love her generously. There's nothing too good for her. We could never repay her. But we ought to try, diet. we ought to try, we ought to die trying before she does. She didn't, spend herself, she didn't spend on herself unless all your needs were met. She could easily do without, and now it's time for her to have something that she wants. She clears her schedule so she can run you around, she gives up opportunities so you can have opportunities. Here's a math question. State your answer in a fraction. If there's ten at the table and one apple pie, how much does each one get? The correct answer is one-ninth. Don't you know your fractions? Do you know your mother? If there's that many at the table and only one pie, she don't want any. Number seven, love her honorably. Exodus chapter 20, verses 12, says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God, that the Lord your God is giving you. This is binding as long as your mother lives. Another command says, Children, obey, which is not binding when you leave home, but honor is different. If the husband is the head of the home, then the mother is the heart so don't break her heart. Yeah, but my mother was an honorable. Well, the Bible says nothing about that qualification. It only asks, is she your mother? By the way, it's the only one of the Ten Commandments which includes a built-in promise of blessing. And in Isaiah 66, verse 13, we see God as a comforting mother. For he says, as a mother comforts her child... So I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. John Killinger's book, Lost in Wonder, Love, and Praise, includes the following affirmation I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God, who was born of the promise to a virgin named Mary. I believe in the love Mary gave her Son that caused her to follow him in his ministry and stand by the cross as he died. I believe in the love of all mothers and its importance in the lives of the children that they bear. It is stronger than steel, softer than down, and more resilient than a green sapling on a hillside. It clo- closes wounds, melts disappointments, and enables the weakest child to stand tall and straight in the fields of adversity. I believe that this love, even at its best, is only the shadow only a shadow of the love of God, a dark reflection of all that we can expect from Him, both in this life and the next. And I believe that one of the most beautiful sights in the world is a mother who lets this greater love flow through her to her child, blessing the world with the tenderness of her touch and the tears of her joy. The salvation of every soul begins with God. As soon as Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, we hear the shepherd's voice calling out for his lost sheep. Adam, where are you? It is the father searching for the prodigal. Genesis 3 is not a place where we would expect grace. It is in the context of judgment after the fall that the Lord God curses the serpent. Adam and Eve hear God speaking to the serpent And it's not a direct promise to Adam and Eve, but a word of judgment to Satan. He says to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. There will be an undying opposition between Satan and the generations to follow. No doubt Adam and Eve were so impressed with the message of hope that they they reinforced it in the minds of their children, and their children passed it on from generation to generation. Then came the day centuries later when Moses, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, wrote the book of Genesis and penned this great promise against the darkest day in human history. The promise of salvation was given before anyone died, physically. Here is the first word of grace in the Bible at a time when it's least expected. It is also the first messianic prophecy. At the time of the giving of this promise, no child had been born to Adam and Eve. Probably with the birth of every male child, there was a hope that he would be the one who would overthrow the evil that had been unleashed on the new world. The promised one will bruise you on the head. There will be a head wound. The idea is that there will be a death blow. Satan would have this eternal dread hanging over him with the birth of every male child, thinking, could this child be the one that would demise his end? In the battle, Satan would bruise him on the heel. The promised seed would suffer but he would not suffer a destructive blow. It is true that we don't have a great deal of information at the onset of this promise in Genesis, but hindsight is great. We have the advantage of looking back over time and seeing the one person who fulfilled this growing hope in the heart of sinful man. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died on our behalf to crush Satan. Satan was crushed at Calvary. He was defeated when Jesus rose from the dead. But the final blow will be the submission of Satan to Jesus Christ when Jesus returns in his glory. The Apostle Paul saw this (coughs) great promise being fulfilled in the salvation and sanctification of God's people. He alludes to this promise in Romans chapter 16, verse 20. And the God of peace will soon crush satan under your feet under your feet the grace of the lord jesus be with you the word for crush is literally to rub together and so to shatter to crush to trample underfoot to break in pieces by crushing to grind to smash to break to destroy paul reminds believers to draw daily strength from the blessed promise a final victory over satan. Unlike some of you who cheer for some hockey teams, we are not on the losing team. The image of smashing satan in Romans 16:20, Genesis 3:15, Psalm 91:13 suggests both present victory over the powers of darkness and the imminent destruction of satan. God uses some strange words when he pronounced the un Undying opposition between Satan and the woman. He describes it as between your seed and her seed. The Apostle Paul observed in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. It's impossible to see the fulfillment of this promise without reflecting on and seriously considering Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 35. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. The kingdom, his kingdom, will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It's completely impossible without a miracle from God. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, the sin nature has been transmitted from parent to child and from generation to generation. We're all born in sin, and this included Joseph and Mary. As King David reflected on his sin nature, he concluded in Psalm 51, verse 5, we are all shapen in inequity. We sin because we're sinners by nature. Mary was a sinner born to sinful parents who came from sinful parents. And if Jesus had received a corrupt, sinful nature from either Joseph or Mary, he could not have been our sinless substitute dying for our sins. He would have been in the need of a Redeemer, like all of the sinful men. So how did Jesus then have this sinless nature? Mary was a virgin. Mary knew this when she questioned, how can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel angel explained, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And Luke uses the figure of a cloud, the symbol of divine presence coming upon Mary. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and overshadowed her with his power through which she became pregnant. The overshadowing presence of God causes Mary to become pregnant. It's nothing short of a miracle. Jesus was born of God, not by humans. And the entire operation from the creation in the fetus, the daily development in the womb for nine normal months, was the work of the Holy Spirit. Because he was the seed of the woman, Jesus was God incarnate. He was God and man. He was human just like you and me, but he was not fallen, sinful humanity. His humanity and divinity were so woven together that you could not have seen the difference except when his deity shone forth in the transfiguration. The apostle Paul said in First Timothy chapter 3:16, "Great is the mystery of the incarnation. The virgin birth points back to the promise." of the first glimmer of the gospel of redemption. The child of promise is the seed of the woman who is the branch of David, the eternal word made flesh. Christ was made a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written in Galatians 3, verse 13, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Death symbolized the wounding of the heel by Satan and takes place before the smashing of the head of Satan by the seed of the woman. This wounding appears to be the death of the cross since Christ identified his executioners as the seed of the serpent. Jesus said, you are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand... In truth, because there is no truth in him. John 8:44. And this preceding death makes mandatory the resurrection of the seed of the woman to perform the smashing of the serpent's head. Genesis is more than a story. It's a record of God's work on behalf of the redeemed. It's a history of God's redemptive work. Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And Genesis 3.15 is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible because the central message of the whole Bible is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the greatest commentary on Genesis 3.15 is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Satan thought that he had won in the battle over the Son of God at Calvary. But the full weight of the crucifixion came down on him three days later when Christ rose from the dead. The all-wise sovereign God fulfilled his eternal purpose of redemption. The resurrection faith is at the center of God's provision of salvation for sinners, in the crushing of the head of the serpent, delivered was, deliverance was promised, and moreover, to effect that deliverance, the redeemer had to be able to conquer death. Christ rose from the dead triumphantly. He is alive. The seed of the woman took upon himself the consequences of the serpent's sting and rose from the dead. No doubt the seed of the woman is referring to the virgin birth of Christ. And the virgin birth, the virgin born Son of God, conquers death, hell, and the grave. He will give the death blow to Satan when he returns. In the final book, and in the final chapter of that book in the Bible, Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am the root of... And the offspring of David. I'm going to read that again. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. And verse 17 the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Jesus says, Yes. I am coming soon. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all of God's people. Amen.
1: Lord, as we've been thinking this morning of mothers and thinking of their great work and sacrifice for us, we think of Jesus, too, who embodies, as we said, all of those characteristics and traits that we associate with mothers. The one who gives of himself, who carries us when we need him, who uh, redeemed us, who who sacrificed himself for us. And all of these great uh, thoughts we've enjoyed hearing this morning, and we pray that as we leave this place, we would continue to think of the one who gave himself for us, the one who was promised long ago. And we thank you for him and his life. We do thank you for the mothers that you've given us to, the ones who've shown us uh, by their example of Jesus how to live in this world. And we'd ask that we too might follow that example as we relate to one another and to those around us. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen.